You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Stand and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. We'll get right into the message this evening. So Genesis chapter 5, begin reading in verse 18. Genesis 5:18. And the Bible says, "And Jared lived an hundred sixty and two years and begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. 300 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Thank you. You may be seated. Now looking out tonight, I believe that everyone in this room wants wants to be remembered when they die. I think that's fairly normal for everyone to want to be remembered. All throughout history, people have been remembered by what they say, do, or what others have said about them. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a list of people who have been solidified in history by their last words. So before we get into the message, I figured I'd share one with you. General Sedwick and his troop arrived in Spotsylvania on May 8, 1964. Upon arrival, they took their place in the center of the Union line. Confederate sharpshooters had been peppering the area all morning on May 9th, wounding many. Staff officers cautioned Sedwick not to approach the road. But after noticing a snarl in his line, he decided to disregard their warnings. When the men came to encourage him to take cover, Sedwick responded by joking, they couldn't hit an elephant from this distance. His sentence was cut short because one of the sharpshooters had found his mark. The shot was one that Sedwick could not recover from. On May 9, 1964, General John Sedwick died. His last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant. John Sedwick was an American general in the Civil War. He had climbed up the ranks and proven that he was an exceptional soldier. Despite these great accomplishments, he will forever be remembered by the phrase, they couldn't hit an elephant. In the same way that General Sedwick is remembered by what people chose to record about him, we too are remembered by what others record about us. So for just a second, I want everyone to imagine their funeral. The standard obituary information has been read, your date of birth, your date of death, a list of children and possibly grandchildren. Now suppose only one thing could be said about you, one thing that could sum up your life. What would your friends and family record? What would you want them to record? This portion of scripture that we just read is part of a larger section where God records the obituaries of men from Adam to Enoch. Each obituary follows the same pattern. A man was born, he lived to a certain age, he had a son. He then lived a specific number of years after that, having more children, and then he died after having lived a certain number of years. But there's something different about this passage, something that sets it apart from the rest of the obituaries given. As we look through the verses, we'll find that all the standard information is there, just like everyone else's. However, at the end of Enoch's obituary, God gives a one-sentence summation of his life. Enoch walked with God. Later in the passage, we are told that Enoch did not actually die, but that God took him, 
Not much is known about Enoch, and one of the only other places that we find Enoch is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. The only, other, the only clue in either of these passages as to why God would take Enoch, not allowing him to experience death, was because Enoch walked with God. The fact that Enoch walked with, walked with him must have been so pleasing to God that God was willing to grant Enoch the very rare gift of never having to die. So back to the funeral illustration, if you were to have only one thing said about your life when it was over, having the testimony of walking with God would surely be a very good thing. But why is walking with God such a big deal? I mean, why does it matter? We hear it preached all the time, if you're going to be a good Christian, you should have a walk with God. But why is it so important to walk with God? Well, first, I believe it's important to us, it should be important to us, because it's important to God. Looking all the way back to creation, we see that God created Adam and then placed him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. He gave Adam animals to name, plants to take care of, and even a wife to help him. However, God did not just step back and leave Adam there to fend for himself. Instead, we see that God came and walked in the garden with him, seeking fellowship with Adam. The all-powerful creator of the universe sought fellowship from his creation. Unfortunately, we know that man, ruined by a self-imposed sin nature, destroyed that face-to-face fellowship with God and was removed from both the garden and from God's presence. Although sin destroyed our opportunity to literally, physically walk with God, it did not destroy God's desire to fellowship with his creation. If you continue to read through Genesis, it shows us that time elapsed with God seeking to have a relationship with man, but finding the vast majority of humanity engaged in wanton sinfulness and very few men like Enoch actually seeking him out. During the time of Moses, God established an elaborate system of laws, sacrifice and purification for the Israelites in order to deal with the sin that separated them from him and for them to, stay, for them to have a way to stay clean before him. God made a way for them to walk in his statutes and commandments and gain protection, fulfillment of promises, material blessings, and direction from him. However, this was merely a walk of obedience allowing sinful men to approach a sinless God. This type of walk, though necessary for a Christian, is not what God truly desires. Just as a dad wants his child to obey him and the rules he sets in place, God always wants, also wants his child to obey him. But there's much more to our walk than simply obeying God. Even though God wants his children to obey him, and he wants, he wants them to obey out of a heart of love, not of uh, obedience, he does not want us to obey simply because we would be punished if we did not. Rather, he wants us to obey him out of a heart of gratitude. In Genesis, when he placed Adam in the garden to maintain it, he still gave Adam the free choice of fellowship with him or separation from him. If God merely wanted someone who obeyed him no matter what, he would give Adam the chance to mess everything up. He would have uprooted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he would have placed Adam in one of those inflatable hamster ball things that we find, so it would be impossible for him to get hurt. If God were to remove every chance Adam had to sin, he would have no choice but to serve God. But by allowing Adam to have the choice between obedience and sin, he also allowed Adam to have the opportunity to truly fellowship with him. God was not unfair by giving man the choice between him and sin. God did not create a huge list of instructions that Adam had to keep in order to remain in the garden. He didn't even give Adam multiple ways to mess up. God only gave one rule for Adam to keep. And not only that, God specifically laid out the consequences for disobeying him too. One of my greatest pet peeves growing up was the response to my question, because I said so. I hated it with a passion, and if I was ever told, because I said so, the person giving me the instructions had better have a good reason for them. 
Now, um, I love my dad, and my dad hardly ever gave me this response, but when he did, I never verbalized my disdain for that answer, first, because I would have been disciplined for my words, and second, because my dad is a genius and has a way of convincing me that his, my ways are far less superior than his, even if I was some, somehow right. Looking back in Genesis, God never once gave Adam or Eve the because I said so response, even though he had every right to. If Adam had even asked, why can't I eat of the tree, God had already made it very clear what would happen to them. Adam and Eve knew what the consequences for their disobedience was. We can see this in chapter 3 when Satan was tempting Eve. Eve told the serpent what the punishment was. God's rules were very clearly laid out. However, they broke that rule deliberately and were living in a sin-filled world now because of it. As a result of the sin that separates us from God, God created a way that we can still fellowship with him. However, he does not force this relationship upon us. We still have to decide to abide by his laws. Even though walking in, God's, in obedience to God's law is necessary, necessary to having a meaningful walk with the Lord, it is not the only step we need to take in order to please him. A good example of this would be the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually spent a lot of time focusing on fulfilling this law, even adding to it to make it more rigorous. But very little time did they spend in a meaningful relationship walking with God. If we look throughout the New Testament, we will find that the Pharisees were better at keeping the law than most. They even added to it to make it more rigorous. However, the Pharisees put the emphasis on external things while God focused on the heart. Instead of worrying on how they looked to God, they decided to, wor- they decided to worry about how they looked to man. They chose to wear special clothes to attract attention to themselves, even disfiguring their appearances to show that they were fasting. In Matthew 23, 5, Jesus exposes them and points out that everything that they did was for show. They were proud of their spirituality and of their rigid uh, positions. They ended up losing sight of reality. Their motives were all wrong. They attempted to walk the walk of obedience because they wanted others to see their spirituality and focus in on them not because they actually wanted to spend quality time with the Lord. They focused so much on the walk of obedience that they let their walk of fellowship that God truly desires slip behind. The Pharisees emphasized non-essentials, making the Sabbath day a burden instead of a delight. Their walk of obedience became their end goal. Most would say that they had the walk of obedience down, but God was more concerned about their motives. It's interesting to note that the strongest language Jesus ever used was directed toward the Pharisees, He even called them hypocrites, who did not have true fellowship with him. Jesus was not impressed with their strictness, nor was he impressed with their zeal to keep the rules that they had made. Looking at the lives of the Pharisees, I believe it's it's a simple conclusion to come to that simply walking in obedience, while important, is not enough to please God. We must have the right motives for obeying God as well. In Micah 6, 6 6-8, God makes it abundantly clear that he takes no joy in sacrifice or rituals, What he truly seeks is for us to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. God does not merely want our obedience. He wants our fellowship. In the New Testament, the Christian life is often described as a walk with multiple directions on how we ought to walk. Again, much of the walking instruction focuses on our obedience to keep us in a place where God can protect, bless, and use us. For example, in Romans 13, 13, it exhorts us to walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or in drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. If you are saved, Christ's sacrifice on the cross covers your sin, making you clean before God. But God is still interested in an obedient walk. 
If we do not walk in obedience to God's law, we forfeit the opportunity to have true fellowship with God. So we know that we must walk in obedience, but for the right motives. So how do we have fellowship with God? Well, because God desires fellowship of his children, if you are saved, you've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit helps you pray and communicate with him, as you should. If, the Holy Spirit, if it is the Holy Spirit that allows us to have fellowship with God, so if the Holy Spirit accesses God and helps us fellowship with him, why are there still so many verses in the Bible dedicated to walking? Well, I think one of the reasons that we can become dismissive of the thought of walking is because, let's be honest, the physical act of walking is very simple. No one has to explain to anyone else how to walk. No one gets on the internet and looks up, how do I walk? And then the last time I checked, there wasn't a book in the library called Walking for Dummies. Walking is just a simple series of steps. It's so simple that some babies are able to do it as early as six months after birth. Walking isn't difficult, so it's easy to begin thinking that our walk with God is the same, something that doesn't take a lot of focus, or something that happens when we want it to. However, notice again what the Bible says in verse 24 of Genesis 5. It says, And Enoch walked with God. It's not, a mere, it's not the mere act of walking that's a challenge. It's all about who you're walking with. Walking obediently is hard, but the walk of fellowship is the walk that God truly desires. Unfortunately, this is just as hard as the walk of obedience. Let me use an illustration. Um, I mentioned my dad earlier in the sermon, and if any of you were to meet my dad, you would notice one thing that separates him from most everyone else. Were you to put my dad in a room with a bunch of other people, you would be able to find him fairly quickly because my dad is very tall. My dad is 6'5 and has great posture, which makes him look even taller. And I've always admired my dad, but just his sheer height has, made my, has guaranteed that my dad will always be taller than me, and therefore I will always look up to my dad in one way or another. Growing up, all five of us kids learned that walking with dad was a difficult task. First, unless my dad slowed his normal pace, Keeping up with him, it was exhausting, as it would take two or three of my tiny little steps to match one of his. Also, because he knew where he was going, and I didn't, I was always getting called back from some side trail or exploration to stay with him. And, because he was worried about my safety, I couldn't run ahead or lag behind. I found out very early that, although walking was easy, walking with Dad could be very hard. This fact is true in the Christian race as well. Walking in obedience to our Heavenly Father requires effort, focus, and often a stretching of our stride. Walking or behaving however we want is easy, but walking in God's laws can be very difficult. It's one thing to go through life at your own pace, looking at the scenery, taking side trails, exploring, doing whatever you want, but a walk of obedience, moving at God's pace, in His way, obeying His rules, and doing what His will is, can be very challenging. However, in order to stay safely where God wants you to be, you must be an obedient walker. To continue with my dad as an illustration, walking with my dad has become easier over the years. My legs have gotten longer, my stamina has increased, and I now know, almost always know where I'm going, and so I, uh, so I understand the consequences of leaving my dad's side. Another interesting thing has happened as I've grown. When I walk with my dad now, because I don't require constant correction, He spends a lot more time in conversation with me. Without needing to direct me on our walks, my dad now spends quality time with me and listening to what I have to say. It's encouraging to notice that as you grow and mature spiritually, walking with God in fellowship, while never simple, becomes easier as well. The more scripture you know, the clearer your path becomes. 
The more you pray and seek God's will, the more adept you become to hearing the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And though you never outgrow the need for a walk of obedience, the more you mature, the more time you can invest in a meaningful relationship and walk with the Lord. So how do we know if we're walking with God? Well, first, I think it's pretty obvious, but you must be saved. It's impossible to have a walk with God if you do not have the Spirit of God making intercession for you. If you have no way to communicate with God, there's absolutely no way that you can uh, cultivate a relationship with God. Just Just as an earthly relationship cannot flourish without proper communication, a relationship with God cannot grow if we, do, if we cannot communicate with him. If you do not know that you're saved, I would like to invite you to find me or anyone that you've seen on the platform tonight, and we would love to show you from the Bible how you can start your walk with God. God longs to have a walk with you. He's just waiting for you to accept his invitation. Next, for those of us who are saved, in John 2, 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him, referring to Christ, ought himself also to walk as he walked. The best way to check is to see if we're emulating Christ's life while he was on earth. The Bible records that Jesus knew the scriptures, and therefore God's will, inside and out. During his temptation by Satan, Christ's obedience to God was unshakable because he knew where the final destination was. His mastery of the scriptures allowed him to stay on track, even when he was faced with great opposition. We also see that Jesus spent countless hours in prayer, communicating with his Father. It's much easier to stay in step with someone if you're engaged in conversation with them talking to them, and awaiting their response. Additionally, Jesus didn't view his walk with God as just another chore or task, something that was crammed into his already busy schedule. He viewed it as a joy and counted it as a necessity for the Christian life. Often often he would separate himself from his disciples or even the multitudes just to spend some quality time with his heavenly Father. Although Jesus knew and obeyed the law and certainly walked in obedience, He went beyond that and sought the more rewarding walk of fellowship with God. And if Jesus Christ himself needed a walk with God, then don't you think that we should too? This is the type of walk that Enoch achieved. Our walking with the Lord in obedience and in fellowship is the deep desire of God. Having an intimate relationship with each of us is so important to him that he sent his only son, Jesus, not only to be the perfect example on how to walk, but he also sent him to die for our sins. He places the Holy Spirit in us to aid us in communing with him, and he's given us his Bible that instructs us on how to walk and exhorts us to seek his face and in fellowship. Now, God only waits for you to walk with him. So in conclusion, I want to challenge you to evaluate your walk with God today. Are you in step with him? Are you, con- are you constantly in his word, meditating on what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go? Are you talking with the Lord on a daily basis? Do you view your time with God in the Bible in prayer, even in song, as we heard on Sunday, as a joy and a privilege? Most importantly, are you purposely setting aside time to meet with God? Walking with God step for step, 365 days a year over multiple years is a big challenge, but you can have the benefit of a meaningful fellowship with Christ now and a life in step with the Lord. It's unlikely that God will take you as he did Enoch, but you can certainly have the same life summation at your funeral as a person who walked with God. Even better, you may even hear from God himself. Here's my child. Put your name there. And he walked with me. Thank you very much. Um, At this time, we'll be having our prayer times. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.